You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Well, we're alone again, Joel. Unsupervised. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens today, right? The boys are back in town. <laughs> <laughs> the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> well, you're really not unsupervised. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, Susan is actually at a meeting today um, with Arizona Post, so we'll see what the outcome of that is. Um, not too sure what, what all they're talking about, but um, she's a little bit busy right now, so she won't be with us today. But um, just you and me, Joelle, we'll hold the fort down and that's about it, right? Yeah, like I, I like to say, Susan's out on vacation. Yeah. Just kidding. She's going to hear this later and threaten my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the last time I went on vacation, it was, you know, she was like, it's it was three weeks now, and then it's a month, and it's <laughs> six weeks, and she felt I was gone forever, so who knows. So, yeah, we can always give her a hard time for, for not being at a podcast, right? Exactly. <laughs> Well, today we have a guest um, that I haven't met in person before. I talked to you once on the phone, um, and she actually is friends with my mother-in-law. And our guest today is Regina Walker. She's a retired lieutenant colonel from the Army. Um, so welcome, Regina. How are you doing Thank today? You. I'm doing good. Thank you. So a lieutenant colonel. Yes. Yeah. How did first... Yeah, give us a little bit of background about you. Um, I'm really curious to find out why you decided to join the Army. Oh, my goodness. This seems like a thousand years ago. <laughs> 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 but, um, well, it was one of those choices that I made after uh, having graduated from college and then went back to my little small town called Wooster in Ohio and for those of you who are going, Wooster, where is that? But it was about 60 miles south of Cleveland. Okay. So it, w it was kind of between Akron, Canton, and Madison. You've probably heard of some of those right. cities. Right. Oh, okay. I was born in Ohio, so. Well, I don't <laughs> tell it too often anymore. <laughs> but uh, I um, came home with a degree in business and... Oh, was really excited, going to take the world oh, on, yeah. you know, ready to make my own money. <laughs> so at 22, I'm still living at home. <laughs> my mom has handed me an allowance because I don't really have a, a job. And I was like, this is not right. <laughs> Something's wrong with this picture. Right. You know? I spent so, all this money on college. Right. I need to do something. Right. I mean, I was hearing all this as a child of the 60s that college is the way out. That's where you're really going to determine what your path is going to be. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Path was unemployment. That's what it was. But uh, it's still unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, I was st standing in the wrong places at the wrong time in Worcester because I got nothing. <laughs> but um, I then decided that I was going to just go down to the recruiting office and go into the service. And of course, my mother, bless her heart. You can't go into – I spent all that money educating you. You're going to do what? Go into service. Oh, she just boo-hooed, cried herself. I said, Mom, i got to get out of here. <laughs> That's right. Did you know anyone in the service? Um, oh, let's see. My oldest brother had been in, and okay. he was stationed at Fort Ord, and he was doing the uh, biological chemical training, hmm. you know. 
where they gas you. Yeah, gas mask. <laughs> yeah, gas mask. See how long charcoal you can. suits yeah. and yeah. How long it take you before you break down crying and running? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I saw that on Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, those gas chambers. Yeah, those those were, were not fun. They were not fun. <laughs> so, I did. I I went in and I chose. Uh, the Army, after because my dad was in the service during World War II, it was the Army. My brother, my oldest brother, was in the service as a trainer in the Army, and I said, well, why not? The path is already there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they had a good so, history, yeah. so, yeah. And my recruiter did not tell me that there was an officer's program, so he allowed me to enlist. <laughs> Mm. Well, you know, I didn't I didn't know any better, so Right. Well, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> so, um after having spent time at Fort McClellan, Alabama, my first duty assignment as an enlisted woman was Fort Dix, New Jersey. Wow. And I was assigned to the AG branch, which was the Adjutant General branch. And that was in 1972. <laughs> 1972? Yeah. Wow. Um, so at that time, there were not a lot of uh, minority officers in the service. There were a lot of minority enlistees. Right. But most of them were Caucasian officers that were pushing troops. So DOD decided that they were going to um, try and select more minority officers by having uh, all the staff in the personnel management branch start re- start reviewing records. And of course, mine came up, <laughs> and it showed that I had a college degree. And so all of these records that we pulled, they were sent up to the um, general's office. And he was the uh, assistant division commander, and he himself was reviewing them and interviewing personnel. Wow. <laughs> and I went, I don't want to be an officer. I'm really happy what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm a spec, spec four, a specialist four, an acting spec uh, five, an AJ, hard stripes. So, um, He kept going, no, 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 you have all the criteria. You can do this. I know you can. (laughs) I said, I know I can. I don't want to, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think I had three interviews with General Becton before I finally gave in. And then, of course, by that time, he was at the point, I'm going to sign off on everything you need. (laughs) (laughs) And then he told me, and you hand carry this down to the WAC department. Well, the Women's Army Corps still existed. Right. right? So that's what I did. And I met all the BGs that were there and a few captains and majors. And they told me all about going to Fort McClellan and officers candidate program and how lucky I was to get this uh, commission. So I guess I was lucky. I wasn't happy because I got commissioned. <laughs> right, I got commissioned as a second lieutenant, and I'd already been in for two years. Yeah, you didn't get so any I, benefit. I didn't get any benefit. <laughs> Started at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, so, you know, at that time they said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll use your two years for pay and retirement. I okay. Went, okay, that sounds good. I can live with that. Yeah, that's you know? not bad. So, At least they gave you something. Yeah. They gave me something. So I was discharged one day as an enlisted woman and sworn in the next day as a second lieutenant uh-huh. on my way back to Fort McClellan for a second time, <laughs> but as an officer. So what was officer candidate school like for you? You know, for me, <laughs> it was a breeze. You know what? Because if you had been through enlisted training, right? officer candidacy school was just to me, it was like butter. I was sliding through you. <laughs> I mean, it's all the PT. And still, that's no big deal. But what was funny was all the women that I met who didn't know about physical training, how to march. Right. 
how to fold the triangle on your bed and <laughs> polish it. So, hey, I made a little extra money on the side. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't shine shoes. I was like, whoo. Yeah. Okay. I was the whiz kid at that. <laughs> so it was easy. Just, And I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to be on both sides of right. the fence. Um, I always felt like it had made me a better person. Sure. Well, you knew what the enlisted people went through. Right. Um, you lived that lifestyle, so that was that was good training yeah. for you. Yeah. Yep. Was there a lot of women in, in that time? Yes, there were, were. There were already women in the service in the army, but there weren't women officers. So the difference was you had a lot of enlisted women, and there were women in the medical corps who were, you know, serving as nurses and medics and things, but not in combat service support positions. You know, we had women who were mechanics. Of course, there were cooks. There were, you know, again, what we wanted, though, to achieve was to have more women officers who were able to lead. Right. Because if you're going to integrate the all-male army, then you need some females to help you do that. I mean, we had officers in our battalion. I was assigned, my first assignment was at Fort Carson for four years. Boy, that was that was a little tough. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Fort Carson at? Colorado. Oh, okay. Colorado. And I had a, I was assigned to a transportation battalion and of course, that was my specialty, transportation. I said, again, my dad jakes me because he drove trucks during World War II. <laughs> I was like, how do you take a business degree and assign me to transportation? <laughs> but that's where I ended up, and it, it was good. I, I really enjoyed being in the Corps. So I, uh, my first assignment as a second lieutenant was as a platoon officer. I had a... Uh, company commander who didn't like women officers. Mm. So when I was the first female officer assigned to that light medium truck company, boy, I tell you, <laughs> talk about ignorant people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those weren't the words I used back then. Oh, but I, bet. I I will say it now, you know, because it was like, the whole company, the whole battalion didn't know what to do with us. And it's like we're, I'm a platoon officer, so I can do the same things that my male counterparts would do. Right. And, of course, I had a, a West Point grad hmm. who had another platoon, and he thought the sun rose and dropped on him. Oh, yeah. Any, any <laughs> yeah. West Point grad, oh, yeah. their he, career is written in stone. He knew less than I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a West Pointer. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I caught even the uh, platoon. The platoon I led had never had a female, so my platoon sergeant was like, well, what do you do? I said, do the same thing he does, <laughs> you know. And uh, at that point, when we would go out for maneuvers, and then when I was in, they'd call it going down range, which was really sure. out in the field. Right. Um, and um, we would go out, and the women, the policy was that the women couldn't be housed with men as far as sleeping quarters. So no matter where my platoon was located in the field, I'm out so far away, I'd have to have a jeep come and get me, you know, if I had to go to my platoon area. So I'm sleeping in the all-female tent. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> We're the males. They're sleeping with their platoon, right? Right. So what's the difference? Well, the difference was that I was a female, and policy said females couldn't be housed with males. Well, I changed that after a couple nights in the field. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have my platoon sergeant. I said, look, I'm going to sleep with you guys because this is not good for me. It's not working for me. 
And um, we set up a, a, bl- a blanket divider between my little area and where the guys were. Worked fine. Nobody had a problem till they told on me. <laughs> <laughs> you were breaking ground. <laughs> uh, yes, I was. Almost like <laughs> the colonel who led the battalion looked at me and he goes, Lieutenant Walker, did I give you permission to go down there and sleep with your platoon? I said, no, sir. But it made sense, sir. Right. If we have dispatches to get out, uh, doesn't it make sense that I need to be up here with my platoon sergeant as we get dispatches out and load up for the day and making our runs? And so? He goes, yes, but that's why we drive you back and forth. I said, sir, that's, that's a waste of my time and the driver's. He said, I understand your point. I don't know about it. But if you want to stay over there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it worked out. Well, that's good that he didn't yeah. keep you from doing it. You know, I mean, he yeah. recognized that, yes, this is kind of foolish. So that's good. It is. But, you know, you probably have a lot of stories about things similar to that, you know, that they were people weren't used to having female officers mm-hmm. and – that had to have been a big challenge for you throughout your career. It was. I think the biggest challenge, um, more so there than probably as an adult, was just being black and female. Mm. That's what I was going to ask. Was it harder being a minority or harder being a female? Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> you know. Especially the, at that time. Yeah, the scales yeah, of justice on that one would balance out. <laughs> Um, it was just double tough. It was double tough, yes, um, especially with the expectations already around females being integrated into right. the all-male army. I don't know why they used to say that, but that's what it was then. Um, and it was always, always having to be better, you know. Constantly You're, proving yourself. Constantly. I mean, and I didn't really realize how stressed out uh, I was becoming behind trying to be better mm-hmm. when I thought I was already good, <laughs> you know. Um, but trying to achieve more than more than what my body was going to let me do, you know. Always good in physical exercise, you know, because we were doing PT. We was running. We were running six miles a week. In combat boots. Yeah. So, and when we go out in the field, we'd run with our packs on and um, carry our weapons. So it was like, okay, you can do this. And I would just run and run and run. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, um, yeah. And when we'd have officers call and the officers, the male officers would bring their wives to officer call and well they would make us female officers sit with the wives I I don't have anything in common with your wife why am (laughs) I sitting down here they're talking about children already you know school and And it's like wow and we all yeah we all just went this you know this is not right yeah we wear the rank we draw the pay we do the same duties but yet we're still sitting here on the outside. Yeah, they haven't included you into the fold. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Wow, that's crazy. But you know, and and I think like I started as an officer in '94, and I and I still think, and it probably is today too, that even a female that goes into like the priest, the police career field, you know, it's a male-dominated, you know, force. Uh, and it's like they almost have to prove themselves, you know, that they are mentally and physically tough enough to do the job mm-hmm. before they're accepted by a lot of, you know, their male counterparts. And then once you're accepted, you know, oh, you see how she behaves? You know, just, wow, she's really muscular. For you. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I have to keep up with what you males are doing. Exactly. So, you know, it's a little... A little extra I have to put on my body. <laughs> uh, yeah, I tell you. But um, it was also during a period of time where there was, um, oh, what 
do I want to say? How do I want to say? It was knowing that when I was promoted, it was promotion. My promotions were because I was black and female. Didn't matter what was written on my officer report, hmm. and that went forward. I always think there were quotas that so many of us had to be promoted. You know, so um, I didn't let it bother me though, yeah. because I knew that was going to happen as we were filling the gaps. Right. And especially because it's the start of a new program, right? And there, the army's really wanting this push to happen. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. So. I tried to accept it on the basis of I'm good enough. You well, know? and but personally, you you probably had that desire and that drive to make sure that I'm getting this promotion because I deserve it. I'm doing the work right. and I'm competent and and I can handle it. Right. Yeah. Right. I just uh, and all the um, we weren't discriminated against. I I can look back now and and say that. Um, we were discriminated against. Oftentimes, I don't think it was ignorance. I think it was meant on purpose hmm. because there weren't a lot of um, female company-grade officers at that time when we were coming up. And once you hit the, the grade of captain, finding a major female combat service support officer was almost ludicrous. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could find females in the chaplaincy and in the in the medical corps who were majors and up, but not in combat service support. So we were kind of opening up the field huh. ourselves. Right. You know, uh, I wouldn't realize it until after I retired that how many times we reached back and brought up the younger lieutenants behind us. I mean, I know it's just an expression, right? but everything we went through, um, you paved we the way. paved the way yeah. for them, yes, yes. And as I look at my career, I didn't have a lot of female officers who made it into the field grade positions. Hmm. A lot of them got out as company grade officers, you know, they do their tour as a lieutenant, especially if they came in through the um, OCS program. Right. Yeah, they'd get out after they did their their years that were required. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess what what do you think it was that enticed you to stay in as long as you did? Especially during those times where, you know, they are discriminating against you. And, you know, it's not like it was a walk in the park, you know. No, it was not a walk in the park. But what it did teach me was how to speak up, how to stand up, right? how to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you pick your battles, right? Yes. <laughs> And there's, you know, there's always, there's always the, the point in your career where you recognize that okay, this was a good move after all. I uh, worked for General Abram Creighton's Creighton's. I know that was his last name, and we were in Germany, and I sat as a special staff officer, right? So. Every week he'd have his big staff call, right? And at that time, I was the um, organizational effectiveness staff officer for the division. What I was rank? with the big red one. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I was, I was not a transportation soldier right. then. Uh, I spent so much time in the field, I thought I was a combat soldier. <laughs> um, let's see, what rank? I was a captain then. Okay. Captain, and um, I would come into staff meetings, and I'd take my place along the wall with everybody else that wasn't G staff, you know. And um, General Creighton would come in, and he was a really tall man, and he had this big long oak table that the 
the G staff sat at. They were the S1s, S4s, and uh, I'd sit around with the other soldiers, other officers, and he'd sit down, and then he'd start looking around the table, and then he'd start searching the walls, right? And when he saw me, he looked at me and smiled and go, Morning, trooper. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, Morning, sir. <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the good and the bad. Sure. And um, he uh, appointed me as his IG at one time. That was the inspector general. And yeah. I said, But, sir, I'm an organizational effectiveness officer. That compromises my position. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, Captain Walker. I said, yes, sir. And he goes, you'll be my uh, acting IG until this person comes in. Well, that wasn't a bad assignment either because I was always in the office with him and we were talking about things that were going on within the division, mm. you know. And <clears throat> he, uh, he relied on me a lot for, I was his eyes and ears, mm -hmm. you know, so... I wouldn't consider myself a, a person who told everything, <laughs> but <laughs> it was a position of always being combat ready. Yeah, you know. So if there were uh, units who were not combat ready and couldn't pass their proficiency uh, qualifications, guess what? You get written up, you know. <laughs> yeah, and we would go talk about it. So. For six months, I held the acting IG position. Wow. And it was, it was good. What, I had a real bond with him. What year was that, roughly? Oh, uh, seven, 79 through 81. Hmm. Yeah. So I loved being in Germany. I just didn't like being in the field all the time. Where right? in Germany were you stationed? I was stationed at Gerpingen. Gerpingen? Gerpingen. That was with the, uh, well, I said the big red one, yeah. forward division. Yeah, it was about 90, 90, maybe 90 miles from uh, Muchen. Hmm. So, yeah. So you stayed active duty for 10 years. Correct. Um, during that 10 years, what was your best duty assignment? Oh, my best duty assignment. Hmm. I thought all of them were good after I left. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that place wasn't so it bad. wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> when you get orders, um, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I think my best duty assignment was as well, back when I was in the service, we were called uh, race relations and equal opportunity officers. So I had an opportunity to spend 16 weeks in Miami, Florida, going to the, um, what was it? They called it the um, DLI. Anyway, it was, an, it was um, a school that the military had designed to teach qualified soldiers, meaning selection, we had to be individually selected, um, how to talk about race relations and equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we were trained, certified, and sent back to our units to be race relation officers. And that's what they called us back in the day. And after I left my torturous assignment as a platoon sergeant, a platoon officer. I went to work at what they um, called DISCOM, which was Division Support Command. So I went to work for um, a colonel. He was a full colonel, and he was great. He was a great guy. And he gave me a lot of latitude as far as being uh, in charge of his program race relations and equal opportunity. And one of the things he had asked us to do is to put together a handbook that would 
give male officers uh, a way of inspecting female enlisted because they acted like they didn't know how to inspect our uniforms, what the hair policy mm. was, you know, um, whether or not we could wear earrings and right. Yeah, you guys uh, had a little bit different, right? You know how to line up, right? How to line up our uniforms correctly, and what should our skirt length be uh, on our dress uniforms if you know they were wearing skirts? And so my staff and I spent a lot of time uh, putting together that handbook so that male officers couldn't fringe that they didn't know how to inspect females. And, you know, because they let us run around any way we wanted. <laughs> As if we didn't inspect ourselves, you right. know, if we didn't take time and correct ourselves about how we were wearing our uniform, you know, I was like, oh, come on. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of surprising. <laughs> you know, so we did. We put together this, this handbook, and it was a um, commander's guide to inspecting females. Yeah. And um, he gave us a lot of kudos for, for the work we did with that, that handbook. But the other part that I enjoyed about being in DISCOM was that you got to meet a lot of other division commanders. And my one particular story is that we all know about Colin Paul's military yeah. career, right. right? So when I was a young captain and the race relations officer for DISCOM, um, I got a call from my commander, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, sir, we're working on, the, on a training class. And he goes, well, can you step away? And I go, well, if you can give me maybe about 20 minutes, I can get there. And he goes, okay, come right up here. And I go, okay. So I, I got to doing what I needed to do, and I went up to his office and course went through the etiquette and he says come here come here come here and I walked in and there was pal and he was a one-star general then wow and he was in um for maneuvers so he was the BG of maneuvers <laughs> and my mouth went <laughs> right because all of us had heard about this new commander that was on post but we hadn't seen him and they were talking about excuse me, how handsome he is, and, <laughs> you know, how tall he is and how good he looks in his uniform. And I was like, really? Come on, you know. <laughs> but that was my opportunity to meet General Powell. Wow, that's pretty neat. And I was just taken back. I, I was taken back by his presence, really. Not only because Not he so, looked good in uniform. <laughs> no, no. He had, he yeah. had this, this aura about him for lack of a better word, and his presence, you know. And he was just like you and I are sitting here talking. <laughs> and he and I talked for about a half hour, you know. And I thought, oh. So very personal. I wish I had asked him for his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, how did I know his career was right, going to yeah. float like that, you know. Yeah. But he was just, he was very commanding, I think, in yeah. He didn't put you under pressure, you know, but you knew he was in command and yeah. in control. You know? So, yeah, that was my general pal story. <laughs> That's pretty neat that you were able to meet him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and I got, you know, I, my DISCOM commander would call me and he'd go, come on, meet me at the helicopter pad. And I went, oh, God, I got to fly down range. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd jump in the helicopter and we'd fly, you know, and he just. He would just sometimes call me, and we'd just talk while he was burning fuel, flying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, those are the things that I remember most. Not the not the harshness of, you know, some of the things we were called as right. as officers, um, and how we were treated. But there were so many better things that were, yeah. that now, were open. Even even you know during the bad times, you know when people are saying stuff or you're being treated you know certain ways, was there a recourse for those people? There, there was. There, um, 
Well, of course, you know, the military lives by the Uniform Code of Justice. Right. You know, so uh, the UCMJ and Article 15s and um, matter of fact, I was um, I was in a platoon where the first sergeant and I, I he just took my breath away with his actions. I mean, this guy was no joke. You know, if he told you to do something, you better do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, there was this E five, and he was he was a squad leader, and for the life of me, I don't know why that day that young man decided that I wasn't good enough to be standing in the behind his platoon. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if something told him to act out or what. And uh, when I walked forward to inspect the platoon, he just turned on me. And he, for one thing, he started laughing. And I go, what's so funny right now? And he goes, because I've never had a female stand with me and inspect troops. I said, but it doesn't mean that you need to laugh and he goes but i bet you you don't even know what you're looking for <laughs> oh my god you know and here's the first sergeant over here and the first sergeant is watching this dude act out you know and i said you know this is really not a place for you if you can't maintain yourself right. and i was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt you know um because i recognized the newness of having females inspect sure your soldiers and I don't know but you know what that first sergeant nailed him <laughs> really and he was an E5 and he called him in his office and nailed him with an article 15 wow for provoking speech and gestures hmm. busted him down and I was like well I, I, I felt badly for him because everybody had known that we were, we were on board, right. right, and that we were to be treated just like our male counterparts. Sure. And that morning, I don't know what got into him, but he paid for it dearly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, you know, maybe it was his true colors came out. And, and I think that's what right. it was. And okay. so he justifiably he right. got what he deserved right i mean you were an officer and right. he was not giving you the respect of your even if he didn't like you as a person he should have at least expected um the rank right you know right. and he wasn't doing that that's right. for sure wow yeah. well that's good that uh, first sergeant stepped up and you know yeah i wouldn't have expected him i mean it's just some of our first sergeants were like, yeah, you know, whatever. They'll yeah. go away. Not this guy. <laughs> I think he needed to make an example sure. out of him. If you're going to disrespect these officers, then this is what, right. what's going to happen. Here's the consequence. Yeah, these yeah. are the consequences. Uh, I, I want to ask you, and I know we kind of touched a little bit about some of the negatives and told some happy stories but I, I do want to go back to some of the negatives because <clears throat> you know when i think about our country right now it seems very divided it is and um you know i see a lot of comments and i i guess it, it sparked my it sparked my um my thoughts and i was curious when you were in the service did you ever get um a hard time from either family or friends for basically serving a country that didn't really respect you as an individual? Not from my family, not from friends, but I will tell you my first um, leave, I came back to the United States from Germany. And I had been over there about a year and a half before I came back to the United States on leave. And I was in uniform. Of course, those were the days when we had to fly in uniform. Right. <laughs> so I was in uniform. You're and dressing, I, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. And I um, was coming through uh, JFK. 
and I got outside and my uncle had said that he would meet me, right? So I'm out there standing and I'm standing pretty tall, you know, feeling good about myself. And then here comes these young men and didn't ask me anything but just started going, uh, hey, sister. And I'm like, okay. So now I'm really ticked off because I'm standing here in my uniform mm -hmm. with my ring, you know, and I'm proud. And they're going to disrespect me just as a woman of color. Talk about, hey, sister. Well, I know you're not so ignorant. You don't see this rake on my shoulder, right? And when I wouldn't talk to him or anything, and we go, well, what's the matter? You too good for us? Bitch, don't you know that that uniform ain't going to change nothing about you? And I was like, okay, do I really want to swag them down? <laughs> you know, because then if I do, I'm going to have to take my uniform off. <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to be disrespectful to my uniform, right. to my country. And then, you know, I would be labeled something else, you know. Yeah. So I managed to stand there and take their insults, and I said, young men, you know, you don't know what it's like to serve overseas. Come here and feel like a stranger in your own country. Man. Listen, you need to leave me alone because I totally don't need what you're handing out. And you will address me as ma'am. And if you can't do that, walk away. And they left me alone. <laughs> well, good for you. Wow. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it had to have been pretty tough to, to you know, to not want to just engage and let them have a real piece of your mind, you know. Right, and I was a mouthy person back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I respected myself more at that time yeah. than to allow, to allow myself to come down to their level. Right. I didn't need that. Right, and now I, all oh, that does is bring disgrace yeah. on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I had said to my family when I told that story to them, I said, I have never had that happen to me. I have never been accosted traveling in Europe by myself or with anybody else. Mm. I have never had anybody call me out of my name, mm. call me, you know, things that were disrespectful. And I said, but I stepped back into the United States. In a yeah, home. land of the free, right? Right. <laughs> because land of, of the free, you. home of the brave. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, but, and, and the only reason why we have is those freedoms is because of people like you that served. Yes. You know? And, you know, I think serving also um, gives you the ability to tolerate people. Right. Hmm. I think I learned how to tolerate different individuals while I was serving. Well, because the military, you know, they break you down when you go mm -hmm. in and they build you up to be part of a team and be that, to you know, to have integrity, um, that strength, um, you know, and, and just that military bearing, you know. It's so when something happens like that, you're, you've been through so much that you don't just lose your morals, right. you know. You, right. You've been trained to some extent, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think. So I use that same training in dealing with some of the knuckleheads out here that I meet. <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis, yes, right? Yes, on a daily basis. <laughs> so you do 10 years active duty and then you go. I go into to the active, active reserves. reserves. And for 10 years. So <laughs> are you. When you got out and you first started active reserves, where was your duty station at then? Um, I didn't really have a break, thank goodness. So I didn't lose any rank because mm. I went right into a reserve unit. And um, let's see, it was um, a reserve unit. I got out and went back to California. <laughs> 
I went back to California um, because that's where I had gone to my last school, the Organizational Effectiveness Staff Officer School, and I really liked it there. So after I got out, I decided to go back there, and I went into a reserve unit there. And I was a, a captain and stayed, I stayed for a while in California in the reserve unit. And then my first, my first earthquake there, <laughs> I watched my car back itself out of the parking oh. spot that it was in. <laughs> and everything around me was, you know, rumbling and looking at the ceiling and walls are going like, I'm going, I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I put in for a transfer because I was, at that time, I was working with uh, Ames Research Center, NASA, NASA Ames Research Center. And I went in and I said, um, I, I have to go. I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with these earthquakes. I don't want another one of these. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so I, and I also through my reserve unit put in a, a, a request to be uh, reassigned. And I came, actually I came back to Ohio. Mm -hmm. You know, all the places that I'd been, I came back to Ohio. Um, and I was assigned to uh, NASA Lewis Research Center. And then I was also assigned to a different uh, Reserve unit. It was a uh, support. Let's see, S and T battalion. Yes, supply and transport uh, battalion. So, yeah, I stayed there until I made um, until I made colonel, light colonel, and then I said, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I am so done. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So is that where you retired from? That's where I retired from, yeah. That was in 92. Uh, wow. Yeah. That was the year I got out of the military. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I did 10 years and I got out yeah. right at that time. I was born in 91. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a young pup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had at my age now, everything is young. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my dad was in the Air Force, and he spent only four years in, and he was a um, airplane mechanic. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he had a great time. He loved it. Uh, he got out because his his dad owned a milling company and wanted him to take over. That's the only reason why he got out. But he talked about being in the military like he had spent 20 plus years you know he was only in for four yeah. um but you know he had all these great stories and and i'm sure you know yeah. after 20 years you know in the army you had to what do you what what is like one of your fondest memories what, what would you say well my fondest memory okay so i had never marched in my life right <laughs> but as a recruit and enlisted person at Fort McClellan, Alabama, <laughs> you marched all the time. That's all you did, right. <laughs> and I really enjoyed um, the WAC band, the Women's Army Corps Band. And when we had parades, I loved parades because I was tall, so I was always at the front and I set the pace. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I loved it. And, you know, this when we had uh, General Mildred Bailey. She was uh, the commanding officer of the Women's Army Corps then. And she would come down to Fort McClellan and we'd strike up the band. <laughs> the Women's Army Corps band would be practicing and we'd be out there practicing. And I always loved doing that eyes right. When you hit that eyes right, yeah, that made me feel good. <laughs> but I funny. loved marching. I loved marching and hearing the band. And even now, and I get teased about this by my spouse. Should go. Do you know that you're standing at attention? I go. What? She goes. Yeah. 
just because they played <laughs> <laughs> or the flag went by, you sure. said it. <laughs> well, it's and hard to break that, right? right? Yeah. It is hard for me to break that. You know, I was yeah. just out in San Diego, spent five days in, over in San Diego, and, you know, the Navy's real big over there. And we were over in Liberty Station, mm-hmm. and um, the other morning my wife and I got up early and we were riding our bike around this big park in Liberty Station. And all of a sudden, I saw a bunch of people stop and hand over. It's so all like, okay, we got to stop. They're playing, you know. Yeah. It's it's. I don't morning. know what it is, yeah. you know. Um, I don't know it, what it, it is. It it's just, that respect. Yeah. Yeah. It just wells up inside yeah. of me. Uh, you know, and I don't know if I would have had that kind of respect for my country had I not served. Right. Mm. You know, it's a it's a. For me, it instilled something in me that was missing. And maybe it's because I was watching people protest and mm-hmm. being beat up right. um, for the same things, for freedoms. Yeah. Right. And I just decided that I could probably do better by being in the service. Maybe I could be a better example yeah. um, by serving. Set but, the standard, right? Yeah. 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 Wow, that's crazy. So you liked marching. I did. I did. Yeah, now I walk like my feet are put on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. But, it, you know, it was fun marching, and or especially like when you're running, someone's singing cadence. Oh, and, you yeah. Know, yeah. You, you forget about that pain of running, you know. What, if you've got someone that can call a good cadence when right. you're running, right. yeah, you can go for a long you way. That, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You really can. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Y'all don't run over there in training? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were like when we were in the academy, we ran yeah. a lot. Right. Quite a bit, you know, which is which was good. Um, but then and and then like after we after I graduated the police academy, you get to your department and we'd have to do like a yearly yeah, type qualification training. for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they that went away and there was no requirement for Probably, so how did you stay physically yeah. fit? Yeah, so it was it was just up to you, you know, to right. have your own integrity about that and commitment to, you know, think, yeah. man, I work in Tempe. There's others the, college students. They they stay the same age, and I get older every year. <laughs> <laughs> you noticed that too. <laughs> how is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm that way now. Even, you know, I work out couple times a week and um you have to stay active right? yeah, yeah i just i cannot not do anything right yeah so i stay disciplined i, I stay true to myself I, I try to do something and keep my mind agile and quick <laughs> you know i i, I want to touch on that what because it you know the time that you went in it's an interesting time i mean yeah. a lot was going on you a know in history was. you 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 know, you brought up some just the the social issues, right? And that's you basically. I mean, you entered what three or four years after Martin Luther King's death. Yes. Um, the arrest of the Soledad group. Yeah. Angela Davis and put in jail. And, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. UEP and, Newton. Yeah. And then during all this, you're still getting you know some unfair treatment, and. Yeah, I guess my question is, how did you, like, what did you do to cope? Like, how did you just keep your sanity and not retaliate and just keep your cool during all that? Well, first of all, you have to understand that um, I was brought up in a community where there weren't a lot of minority children. The block where I grew up on uh, was my family and two other families. The rest of the block, all the way up the street, were all Caucasians, okay? So in my high school graduating class, there were only seven minorities. And we knew each other. <laughs> so, And this is out of a class of about 300-some people. Hmm. Yes. So you talk about 
learning to assimilate. We always knew that we were colored. I didn't need anybody to tell me that. Sure. You know, and my mother and father, I think, did a good job of preparing us because both of them were from the South. So um, my dad was from Arkansas. My mother was Kentucky. And we would go visit just because they were up north didn't mean we didn't go back down south. Mm -hmm. And we would go visit. And they would always prepare us (laughs) for things we may encounter. And with me, um, and as a, as a young woman, um, she would always caution me because I'm fair complexed, right? So that's really too close to being a Caucasian. And the resentment was that I was fair complexed. Wow. So put the fair complexion with a person who can be somewhat articulate at times and not rattled by foolishness. <laughs> right. you know? um, and I learned patience and I learned how to wait, you know? And when you learn those, you learn a lot because life doesn't pass you by. You can be in the world, but not of the world. Hmm. I was very much aware of everything socially that was going on around us as children and as young adults. I mean, heck, when we were, when we were asked to walk to protest, my, my cousin and I forged our parents' signatures so we could get out of school <laughs> to walk and, you know, protest what was going on. <laughs> so, um, so we were very much aware that just because we were in that little small town, that mean we didn't know what was going on all around us. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say it was partly due to my upbringing that uh, I learned how to get through some of the ugly parts, you know. Because, you know, it's funny that as children and being minority children, you probably don't know this because you're too young, Tom might. You know that uh, minority children had this term that we call play in the dozens. Do you remember that? I don't. No, you no, don't. I don't remember that. So, the thing about growing up as a, as a black child, and as female, and then you know brothers and sisters. So, you learn how not to break from name calling. That's what playing the dozens was about hmm. for us. Playing the dozens was like, and this is kind. Yo mama wear brogans. <laughs> well, brogans were just big old work boots. <laughs> you know, or it was, or it was like, your mom's behind it so big, it follows her when she gets to where she's going, you know. <laughs> so uh, you learn to play the dozens and not get your feelings hurt. Yeah. Because it's not about hurting you is trying to break you. Mm. Hmm. So that's what we learned, and that's what I've carried through. Wow, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's a different way to think, you know? I mean, I, that's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. If, if only we had that nowadays. I know, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, nowadays hasn't changed from those days, Yeah. <laughs> You'll meet the same people. That's the same behavior. Yeah. You know, I will say that I think it's gone to the extreme, you know, that it's open season on everybody if you're not Caucasian. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's just people are more vocalized Mm -hmm. about it. They're more, I, I guess, you know, they say, I can say and do whatever I want, and there's no repercussions, and we don't yeah. see very many repercussions for the bad behavior that we do come across. 
you know, nobody wants to own their own mistakes. Right. And, you know, so, yeah, it's it's not that things are really any different. It's just more out in your face that you right. can see it. Now. Right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> so 20 years, you retire. Yeah. How did you retire? What did you have like a I'm doing this to celebrate my retirement? Did you have any? No. Just, you know, I went uh, went out the same way I came in, yeah. quietly. Yeah. I got, I got, <laughs> yeah, I, I got my 20-year letter. I, th- I thought you were going to say kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> I got my meritorious service award. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> You were ready to leave, right? I was ready to yeah. leave because the military was changing. Yeah. And at that time, I felt like I was asked to be a babysitter. I'm not babysitting. Right. You know, because the rules had changed yeah. so much that it was like, what? Well, this is like preschool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things and were I, changing a lot yeah, at that time. Yeah, things were changing yeah. a lot. And I just... I just didn't know if I was uh, capable of cuddling people that much, right. you know? Yeah. I was, no. So. My children know. I tell them, don't cry. I can't stand crying. <laughs> <laughs> Do something <laughs> about it. <laughs> so you, you get out in Ohio, right? Because that's where your last day. No, oh. I, I, I came back. Um, yes, that's right. I did. I got out in Ohio, yes. And what prompted you to move to Arizona, to this wonderful heat? <laughs> well, it's better than years of cold. That's right. <laughs> I think that's why my dad said, uh, we're leaving Ohio and we're coming right. out here. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we have four months of hot weather and then we have eight months of yeah i love the beautiful weather. right yeah this is this is when yeah. i start going yeah okay. yeah this is why this i is moved nice. here right yeah that's yeah. for sure yeah yeah oh you said wrap it up huh yeah, yeah, that, that was the signal. I saw that. <laughs> that was a signal well regina i i i respect you for all that you did and all that you were able to do in the military in the army and i mean Going in enlisted and then switching over to be an officer, that's that's fantastic. And then making it to all the way to lieutenant colonel. You know, um, remarkable story. Exactly. <laughs> Especially during the time era yeah, that you yes. went in. You know, that was a tough time and, and you I could ask you a thousand more questions. Uh, <laughs> it, it's yeah. It, yeah, that's a fantastic story. Uh, and I'm Thank glad you. that the army did so well for you, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they, they did good for you and, and everything worked out the way it did. It's, yeah. it's, that's nice to hear that. Um, so for all our listeners, um, you know, your kids, the, the military is an option. You never know. <laughs> that's right. You never know. That's right. Because if you had told me that I was going to do that in the future after I graduated from high school, it <laughs> Not me. <laughs> but you know what? I laugh all the way to the bank. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and also, for our listeners, you know, we are available 24 uh, 7. We are totally anonymous. You can call us anytime. You don't have to give us your real name, you don't have to tell us where you're working at or who you're working for. Um, that's not what matters. What matters is, is that we can provide some help for you and we can get you with a stress coach that has your similar, uh, that have lived your lifestyle, right? They've, they've done your job. They lived your life. Common uh, denominator. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, they know they get your story because their story is probably pretty similar too. Uh, again, you can call us on our toll-free number at 855-889-2348. Um, and if you hit extension one, stay on the line because you will get a stress coach. It's just rolling to the first available one. If you hit extension two, you can get a hold of Susan Simmons. And if she doesn't answer, you can leave her a voicemail. And she would tell you, call me on my cell phone or text me. 
Her phone number is 334-324-3570. And she would say, call in the evenings, but text during the day, because she's if she's with a client, she can still look at her text messages uh, and know whether she needs to, what, what she has to take care of and what she doesn't need uh, to take care of immediately. If you want to reach me, you can hit extension four on that hotline and get me, or you can call me on my cell phone at 480-861-6574. And this is, uh, that is available for any first responder, any military, veteran, uh, and the families. Families, you guys have a tough job um, and don't get much gratification for all the crap you have to put up with. So we are here for you, and we have stress coaches that are that have lived your life, that you're living. So contact us uh, anytime. Uh, come back next week, and we'll see who our guest is. Until then, stay safe. God bless you. God bless this country. And... Have a good rest of your day.